she lay still in a kind of sleep, always in a kind of sleep. The activity, the orgasm was his, all his. She could strive for herself no more. Even the tightness of his arms around her, even the intense movement of his body and the springing of his seed into her was a kind of sleep from which she did not begin to rouse until he had finished and lay softly panting against her breast. Oh, you caught me reading a dirty story. How naughty of you. Actually, that was a portion of Lady Chatterley's Lover by D. H. Lawrence, a book that has been quite controversial since its publication and suffered at the hands of censors from all over the world. Here at Screaming Eye Press, we're very serious about censorship. That is why we have put together horrible little stories, stories they don't want you to read. A collection of horror and dark fantasy stories by Joe Lansdale, G. L. Razor, Elizabeth Massey, Jack Dan, Richard Christian Matheson, G. Wayne Miller, Ray Garten, and more. All proceeds will be donated to the anti-censorship foundation, thefire.org. You don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. Just get people to stop reading them. Ray Bradbury. Look, if you don't like this commercial, just shut it off, for fuck's sake. Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? Aw, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. (gasps) Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. Wow, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. <laughs> there is Daddy-O. Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Roxbrocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour. And now there's... Twisted Pulp Magazine! (laughs) What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices! That is what it is! Look! Whoa! Dad, this looks awesome! Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome! You definitely have that right, my good man! (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Mary! My pleasure, Billy! And just between you and me, I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye! Dad? Uh, just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine! Available in dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere! Or at Amazon.com or ScreamingEyePress.com! That is... S-C-R-E-A-M-I-N-G-E-Y-E-P-R-E-S-S dot com!
There is nothing to fear by David Kempf read by Wesley Critchfield If I were assured of your eventual destruction I would in the interest of the public cheerfully accept my own Sherlock Holmes to Professor Moriarty in The Final Problem by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle We humans are the greatest of Earth's parasites Martin H. Fitcher. Sherlock Holmes frowned at the sound of the wind outside the small gull. The weather had deteriorated rapidly since his arrival in the village of East Proctor. Watson hadn't wanted him to go, had wanted to accompany him. No, my dear Watson, Holmes had said, you must stay here and wait for news from Wiggins. He and the other Irregulars have been on the trail of- I know, I know, Watson said testily. But it's going to be beastly, Holmes, and it's so far to go. Nevertheless, if it is Moriarty our friend has it in his goal, it could be a significant break. He shook his head. I can't imagine what in the world he is doing that far north. No matter, I must go, and you must wait for Wiggins. It is vital. You can wire me the results of his undercover work, eh? Oh, very well. If I must. Holmes allowed one of his rare smiles as he patted Watson's arm. Thank you. I don't know what I'd do without you. The train ride from London had deposited Holmes at East Proctor's rundown station less than ten minutes before the snow began falling, shortly before sunset. Now, an hour later or so, Having had just enough time to secure a room for himself at the local inn, Holmes stood outside the cell in the company of his powerfully built friend, Constable Miles Leary. Staring at the man behind the bars, it was none other than Professor James Moriarty. Or so it seemed. Holmes frowned. Moriarty hadn't moved an inch since he and Leary had positioned themselves in front of his cell. He simply stared placidly at them. Through the small, barred window of Moriarty's cell, Holmes saw that snow was swirling outside. Four people, two children, a man, and a woman were found dead just outside of town, Leary said. Not a mark on them. No reason to think they were murdered, other than the fact that they are dead. And we can't figure out why or how. But this Moriarty fellow here says he'll confess to these so-called murders if he can be put into the general prison population at Yusk tonight. Moriarty said in placid tones, There's nothing to fear. He keeps saying that, Leary said, his jaws clenched. Holmes noted that the lawman was perspiring heavily. Usk is half an hour away, said Holmes, almost to himself. Now, why would he... Ah, of course, he said to Leary. He'll have confederates there to help him escape. Leary wiped the sweat from his brow. I had thought of that myself. Moriarty spoke. All the murders will be accounted for. Plus all the assassinations I made look like accidents all over London. And the names of all my partners in the criminal underworld, he said quietly. I'll give you all this information. Simply grant my request. Put me in Usk's general population. Holmes said nothing. It's your one and only chance to catch a criminal mastermind, if I may flatter myself. Moriarty said, mildly to Holmes. Otherwise, we may end up killing one another, someday. 
Holmes frowned. You are requesting to be put in with hardened criminals, Professor, he said. Men with whom you have nothing in common, except making them do your bidding. There's nothing to fear. This seems a remarkably stupid thing to do, Holmes said sharply. I would have thought better of your intelligence, sir. There's nothing to fear. He lifted his hands as though to show he had no weapons and was harmless. Holmes drew Leary aside. Something's wrong, he murmured. Moriarty is one of the most self-referential people I've ever known. A narcissist. A man who thinks he is smarter than anyone else. He cannot tolerate insults to his intelligence. He stared in puzzlement at the man in the cell, who stared back without any sign of anger. What game was Moriarty playing? Tell him, he said quietly to the constable, tell him that it will take some time to arrange for transportation, especially in this storm. When Leary explained this to Moriarty, the professor stood and approached the bars. He grasped them. At close range, Holmes still saw no traces of anger or any other emotion on his features. It was almost as though Moriarty were wearing a mask. Swiftly, Holmes reached out and seized Moriarty's left hand. He yanked hard to pull the criminal mastermind close against the cell's bars and accidentally ran his fingers over the prisoner's skin. What are these blister-like bumps on the palm of your hand, sir? Moriarty pulled back sharply, wrenching his hand from Holmes's grasp. There's nothing to fear, he said. He glanced over his shoulder, out the barred window. Cover this window, he said. For the first time, there seemed to be a trace of emotion in his voice. Cover it! Cover it, I say! Cover it before the sun rises! That won't be for many hours, Leary said. In any event, there's no curtains for the windows. This isn't an hotel, mate. We don't accommodate killers here. Holmes took Leary by the arm and walked a few paces down the cheerless stone corridor that ran along the line of cells, all unattended now, save for Moriarty's. I need time to think, Holmes said, and to rest. There's something very odd here. This man who claims to be Moriarty. Claims to be? He bloody is, isn't he? He said he was. That's why I sent for you. I know, I know. Holmes rubbed his chin. He wished for Watson's down-to-earth presence. The physician occasionally had good insight, and he was, after all, a doctor. Holmes was beginning to suspect that that was exactly what he needed right now. At the inn, Holmes tried to sleep, but the conundrum presented by his nemesis kept him tossing and turning. He felt the entire problem seemed to hinge on the strange bumps on Moriarty's palm, but Holmes could not for the life of him figure out why. Finally, he rose from his bed, shortly before dawn, unrested and irritated at himself. Looking outside at the day, he saw that an inch or two of snow had fallen, but the weather had cleared and the sun would soon be rising. Holmes dressed quickly and walked quickly to the gaol. Constable Leary was on duty once more, but he said he had been able to snatch a few hours' sleep. How is our captive? Holmes inquired. Leary shrugged. As far as I can tell, he hasn't moved all night. He's still sitting in the exact same spot as I left him. Hmm. Let us have a look at him. Holmes followed Leary into the cells. Sure enough, Moriarty sat on his bunk. Nothing moved except his eyes, which swiveled to look at the men as they approached. You must cover the window, he said in a monotone. 
And why is that? Holmes asked. Are you fearful of something, Professor? I seem to remember you saying that there was nothing to fear, Moriarty said blankly. There is nothing to fear. I see. He drew Leary off to the side and spoke urgently to him for a few moments. Leary nodded and hurried off, leaving Holmes alone with Moriarty. So, said the detective, the sun will rise in a few moments, sir. Moriarty glanced out of the barred window. For the first time, he became somewhat agitated. You must tell them to release me, he said. Holmes shook his head. With regret, sir, I cannot do that. You must answer for your crimes. Doubtless you will be hanged. Moriarty shrugged. There is nothing to fear, he said. On the contrary, there is death to fear. It is an illusion. I see. At this point, Leary returned, bearing shackles. He looked questioningly at Holmes, who nodded. Leary unlocked the cell, and he and Holmes entered. They seized Moriarty and dragged him to his feet. Leary held Moriarty in an iron grasp, while Holmes swiftly shackled him. Holmes reached into a pocket of his coat and withdrew a scalpel, one he had procured from Watson because its sharp edge made a formidable weapon, small and easy to hide. Now then, he said, let's solve the mystery of these unnatural bumps. Constable Leary forced Moriarty's hand toward Holmes, who quickly slashed the man's palm. There was no blood, only a greenish liquid. Holmes, who was stunned, probed into the palm of Moriarty's hand. Moriarty said nothing, showed not the slightest awareness that he was being mutilated. And then, from the skin under his palm, Holmes slid two small, flat seeds like those of a watermelon. What in the name of all that is holy? Moriarty spoke. If I die, we will make your adversary so brilliant, you will never win against him again. We... Holmes repeated. Moriarty squirmed in his captor's grasp. You must release me, he said. The sun rises. He coughed and spat up a green liquid on the floor. A shaft of sunlight sliced between the bars and shone on the green ooze on the cell floor. Something squirmed in the little puddle. It was a strange, worm-like parasite about the size of a thumb. Leary blanched and stepped back, dragging Moriarty with him. Holmes stomped down hard on the tiny thing. What are you? The detective demanded of the prisoner. Moriarty smiled, a cold, evil smile that did not light his eyes. You would not understand, he said. Not yet, but you soon will. A sudden, whirring, whistling noise outside the gal drew their attention to an astounding sight. A peculiar, dis-shaped thing in the dawn sky, dipping and spinning around its central axis. Holmes faced what he had previously thought was his old foe. Professor Moriarty, he said grimly. Have you something to do with that? Moriarty laughed. More than you could possibly believe, he said. He leaned forward, straining against Leary's iron grip. You must release me. Outside, the flying thing sped off into the distance. The rising sun reflected on its underside. For one of the rare times in his life... Sherlock Holmes was speechless. He knew there could be only one explanation for Moriarty's peculiar condition, mad though it seemed. He turned to Leary, whose face was as white as chalk. We are faced with the incredible, he said. I fear it is beyond our ken at the present time. We have here a man, or in the semblance of a man, 
with seeds under its skin and green liquid in place of blood. This thing has replaced Professor Moriarty. We cannot let it go. Not ever. Leary nodded curtly. I can arrange it, he said. Accidents happen here in the Gaul from time to time. Had I not seen with my own eyes what has happened here, I would not have believed it. Yes, just so. I believe I take your meaning, my friend. No one must ever know of this. Moriarty squirmed in the policeman's grasp, in vain. His face suddenly transformed into Leary's face. Moriarty looked at Leary, who was too terrified to scream. Then, in an instant, the creature had the face of Sherlock Holmes. He smiled at Holmes. You'll be next, he cried. You'll be next. We'll see about that tonight, Holmes said. They waited until the darkest hours of the night to set the creature on fire in its cell. The sunlight hurt it, but did not kill it, so there was more work to be done. They threw oil lamps and torches at it until it burned into ashes. Its loud and human, high-pitched screams could be heard from what seemed to be miles away. And before it finally died, it was afraid. It was very afraid. <laughs>